Hello, and welcome to Life in Their Sandals. This is a podcast where we dive deep into the lives of biblical people to determine how we should live as Christians today. I'm your host, Chris McGrath, and today we have the great opportunity to talk about another narrative in the life of Jesus. We are nearing the end of our Life of Jesus series, and today we're going to be talking about the crucifixion. The crucifixion of Jesus is one of the most significant events in the Christian faith, and it marked the culmination of Jesus' earthly ministry and, of course, his ultimate sacrifice for me and you today so that we could be saved and have right relationship with God. And I'm choosing to start this process today by talking about the choice of Barabbas. We left off last time, and we see that the religious leaders had put pressure on Pilate to give Jesus a death sentence because they could not carry it out themselves. And Pilate ultimately gave the choice to the people, to the Jews. Do you want Jesus or do you want Barabbas? Jesus appeared before the crowd and they ultimately chose to demand the release of Barabbas, who was the notorious prisoner and rebel. And Pilate reluctantly yielded to their demands and gave them Barabbas. Instantly at this moment, Jesus was taken away from the crowd back into the inner palace where he was whipped. Roman soldiers who were not like the Jews thinking of Jesus as a blasphemer or one who was uh, taking their power, but viewed Jesus as just another prisoner, another one of those to be crucified. And they tore off his clothes, they tied him to a post, and they mercilessly whipped him. They took a cat of nine tails, which was a whip with nine lashes that had sharp objects tied to the ends, and whipped Jesus, likely with the 39 save one stripes that was common at the time. This was done to weaken him, to humiliate him. The soldiers would go on to mock Jesus. They placed a crown of thorns on his head. They dressed him in a purple robe and sarcastically hailed him as the king of the Jews. After this moment, Jesus was then ushered out of the palace, taken on that road to Calvary. He was forced to carry his own cross that he would be nailed to. The way of suffering that he had to travel as he walked, step by step, towards the hill called Golgotha. He was weakened by the whipping, and the weight of the cross became too much for him to bear. And as he faltered, there was a man next to him named Simon of Cyrene, who the Roman soldiers basically compelled to carry the cross for Jesus. As they trudged up the never-ending seeming road to Calvary, they got to the foot of the hill. This place, Golgotha, known as we call it today Calvary, or the place of the skull, is where they laid the cross on the ground, drove nails through the hands of our Savior, through his feet, and they affixed him to that wooden structure that has become both symbol of strength for Christians today. This brutal form of execution would cause such immense suffering and pain. Many would have even said, historians, that this is probably the worst way to go. And if I let my imagination run wild, I can come up with some terrible ways to die. But this is truly such a barbaric moment in history. The Romans were so drunk with power. Again, they were not mad at Jesus. They did not hate him as the Jews did. They were just doing this because this is who they were as people. They nailed his hands and feet to the cross. They lifted it up, drove it into the ground. Jesus hung there 
on the cross for a period of a few hours. And during this time on the cross, his hands stretched out from side to side, his body sagging, struggling to support himself. He did not just bear his body weight, but he was bearing the weight of the sins of the world. Jesus spoke seven times while he was on the cross. And each of these quotes from Jesus give great insight into what was happening. Jesus first said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As he was on the cross, he was surrounded by quite a diverse group of people. There were the Roman soldiers who guarded the site, who cast lots for his garment and pierced his side. There were two criminals, one to each side, who were crucified. There were religious leaders and passers-by who mocked Jesus, told him that he should save himself to prove that he was the Son of God, which is such a hypocritical statement, because how many times did Jesus do the miraculous, and yet these people still did not believe? Although there was a crowd that was deriding him, piercing him, humiliating him, there was a few individuals, the Apostle John, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and some others, who stood by, who in this brutal and incredibly awful scene, were there to support him. Jesus, although he was being mocked, humiliated, asked that God would forgive them, for they did not know what they were doing. Later, he would go on to say that to the other thief on the cross, after he had expressed faith in Jesus, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Again, symbolizing the choices that we all have to make today. We can deny or we can accept, but only one comes with the promise of everlasting life. Jesus then, symbolizing his love for his mother and his sense of responsibility, told John, behold your mother, and told his mother, behold your son. He's trying to offer this comfort that they could forge a relationship that, although it couldn't replace the relationship that Jesus had with his mother, and although Jesus' death was not going to be final, this period would give John and his mother a, a brief moment of reprieve from seeing this awful sight before him. Jesus would then say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This deep moment of anguish, he quoted this psalm of 22.1 and expressed the weight of his suffering and the feeling of his abandonment, although he was, of course, never truly abandoned because there is no separation of Jesus and God, for they are one. Jesus then said, I thirst, again fulfilling another prophecy from Psalm 69.21. This statement reflected his physical suffering, the exhaustion he was going through. As some would like to try to say that Jesus couldn't feel pain or that he had divine flesh that couldn't be hurt. He felt thirsty. He felt pain. When he cried out, it wasn't just an emotional or spiritual, but it was because his body was going through agony being crucified. Jesus then said, it is finished. And Jesus declared that his mission was completed and that his work of redemption and salvation had been accomplished through the most unlikely of means, which was his sacrifice on the cross. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He gave up the ghost. He gave up his spirit. He did not die. It was not taken from him, but he willingly gave it up because he knew that this was the moment that he had lived his entire life for, was to be able to go through this period of death and the period where he would be in hell in order to conquer death, to conquer hell to conquer the grave, and to have the keys to our souls. This is what was happening to Jesus on the cross. But as he was dying, darkness fell over the land, and 
as he died and gave up the ghost, there was an earthquake and the temple in the Holy of Holies, the veil that separated the presence of God from people, which was not because God loves separation from his people, but it was an act of mercy protecting a sinful people from coming into contact with a holy God that would ultimately lead to their demise. Now there was no need because this sinful people now had a sacrifice that they could identify with that could make them holy. This tearing of the curtain symbolized that removal of the barrier between God and humanity. And again, it was only possible through his death for us. After these hours of agony that I've tried to describe just matter of factly and not too dramatically, but in a way that we can maybe have some type of a glimpse into what he went through. Jesus breathed his last breath. The sky darkened, the curtain tore in two, and Joseph of Arithamea and Nicodemus approached Pilate to request to bury his body. Joseph, along with Nicodemus, another disciple, carefully prepared Jesus' body for burial, and they took him, wrapped him in a linen cloth, laid him in a tomb with aloe and other spices, and the sun set. The Savior of the world seemed like he had been killed. We'll go ahead and get into some of the takeaways here, but the main takeaway, I think, is this. In this moment of Jesus' death, all of Satan and his fallen servants were rejoicing. They thought that they had won. Satan thought he had finally convinced people to give up their relationship with God once and for all. But what really was happening, although no one else around could understand it, was that Jesus was conquering the work of Satan that he had done for thousands of years. Just like he had said so many podcast episodes ago, a couple years in the life of Jesus and so many narratives before. Just as he said by the Sea of Galilee in Mark chapter 3, he was breaking into the devil's house. He was taking the things that belonged to the devil only after he tied them up to bring them to eternal safety. The point of it all is this. We do not understand the methods that God will use to work in our lives. We don't have omniscience. We don't know every fact, every outcome. But God understands exactly what he needs to do in our lives. My main takeaway from the crucifixion of Jesus is that victory does not always look like victory. Just like that thief on the cross. This looked awful. It couldn't be worse. In fact, sometimes in the ancient days, we don't know if this is exactly what happened with Jesus, but it's likely that they followed the custom of the Romans at the time, which was to crucify the criminals facing Jerusalem. So that everyone could see and so that they could see their city. As you look back at the place you grew up and you knew your whole life, surely you'd be thinking of all the mistakes you made that had led to this point. But instead of thinking of that, the thief simply said that he believed who Jesus was and he believed in his innocence. And Jesus said, today I will see you in paradise. What lies between us in paradise and this life or the next is just that simple faith in the Lord. And although what he's doing might not seem like it makes sense to us all the time. We have to trust that he knows better than us, and that even if it looks like the devil is winning a total victory, the Lord is turning it into a total defeat for the devil, and a huge win for all of us today who love him and who are called according to his purpose. I hope you enjoyed talking about the crucifixion of Jesus and some of what it means in our lives. Tune in next time, and we will talk about his resurrection, and I know you'll want to hear that. I hope you tune in next week. We will be talking about someone who is very integral to the story of the Bible, and I know that you will enjoy it. Hope to see you next time, but in the meantime, be blessed. Have a great week.